Soul family, and welcome to the Walk On Podcast, the podcast where I try to demystify spirituality, personal growth and healing, and whatever else I feel like talking about. I'm your host, Britt Cannon, and this week's episode is called Living With Intention. I've been thinking a lot about this because I've been processing some (laughs) attachment issues. Um, If you don't know, attachment theory is like about how our our childhood, like our very first relationships, those with our parents, if they weren't facilitating a secure attachment for us, like if there was any kind of abandonment or rejection or neglect or abuse or anything like that, it can obviously affect our relationships going forward for the rest of our lives. And I've been thinking a lot about this because... I've been like, as I've said in the last handful of episodes, like I am really lucky at this moment in time. I have so much to be grateful for. Like I have somehow in the last 12 years managed to completely overhaul my life, my relationships, my relationship with my own trauma, my relationship with myself. I've been able to like really dig deep and cultivate this amazing self-love that obviously like is a daily practice and takes conscious intentional effort. It's not something that I achieved and now it's just like here to stay. It's like something I work on, but it has brought me such beautiful, loving, supportive relationships and, and this community keeps growing and growing. And that is lovely and wonderful and like more than I ever could have imagined was available to me, you know, like it was these, this type of love and acceptance, I wasn't even on my radar a decade ago, you know, and it has been really hard work getting here because, you know, when you're looking for your people, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of interacting with people that aren't your people. You know, there's a lot of challenging stuff you go through. There's a lot of rejection you go through. There's a lot of abandonment you go through. There may even be abuse that you go through that is part of your cycle. You know, it's part of what you're attracted to or part of what you need to work through. Or for me, I think I really, really, really needed how to learn. I really needed to learn how to walk away. Like obviously this whole platform is about walking away. And it has been brought to my attention through the universe, through what I'm going through at this moment, through the, you know, I, I, my universe, my God, my relationship with myself is very intuitive. And, and I think all of our relationships with ourselves and our higher self and our God or universe or divine or whatever you want to call it is similar where they communicate through signs. Like there are gentle nudges along the way that guide us in the direction of our healing. And in my experience, since I opened up to this process, my universe communicates with me very clearly. Like it's, there is no ifs, ands, or buts around what is coming up for me at any given moment because the universe makes it very clear. And so this is what I've been working on lately. And I've been realizing that Part of my, this leg of my healing marathon, like this next decade or 12 years, because, you know, astrologically, we like, we uh, go through 12 year cycles. 
and and each year of our life coincides with one of the houses and each of our houses has a placement there and and the household significance and the placement the planet in the household significance and the sign that the planet is in also holds significance so each year a certain house of your life of your chart is getting highlighted and it has a lot to say about your life and what you're working through at this moment and when you're in a 12th house perfection year which is age 35 that's the year that I'm in right now you're dealing a lot with self-undoing with your own deep flaws with with your wounds with um, you know, hidden enemies and betrayal and like things in secret, but it's also about destroying what it's a cocoon, a chrysalis year. It's like destroying the parts about you that you will not carry with you moving forward and creating the parts of you that you will be working on for the next 12 years. And I think this past 12 years for me has been so much about walking away and I'm starting to see now that like I am being pushed to put down roots. I am being pushed to commit. I'm being pushed to everything, you know, to my work, to my title as an artist, to my process, to my physical health, like going to the doctor, which has been such a fucking thing for me my whole life it's been so hard like because of being neglectful neglected because of being poor because of having health anxiety um isn't it funny that health anxiety manifests in like not taking care of your health like you're so anxious and you're convinced that you're you're having some incurable disease and it it like makes you not go to the doctor isn't that like counter (laughs) counterintuitive you would think that the health anxiety like makes me go but instead it makes me avoid. And so I'm tackling that particular avoidance, like just realizing all the ways that I've been afraid of commitment in my life and the ways that choosing the people I did, like choosing unavailable people or toxic people, um, people who couldn't love to the same capacity that I could, was sort of a weird kind of dysfunctional self-protection, right? Because like, I always have an excuse to leave. I always have an excuse to let go. I always have an excuse to like pull back and remain distant. And and so I'm working on all of that. And the funny thing about life and healing is that sometimes you get what you want. You get what you've been asking for. You get this most beautiful unfolding of like a loving life that I have had a hand in every step of the way. Like I have consciously, intentionally done this work. I have dug the holes in the soil and planted the seeds and watered them every day. You know, I have made sure the sun shone on them. Like I have had every every bit to do with where my life is right now, but still it feels like it happened to me. Like it feels like a miracle or something. And, and when I get scared, I go to that place of like, I can run, I can run at any moment. I can pack my bags. I can start a new life. I know I can do it. Like, you know, I, I just immediately jump to like walk away, you know? And because that's been what I've been working on for the last 12 years, because before that I was a stayer, I was a ride or die codependent, fiercely loyal, like love is blind type of person. Like I could see the people that I loved 
did no wrong. You know, they were perfect to me. In fact, I didn't deserve them. I had to work to deserve them. So I would stay and stay and stay and stay. And now I'm being called to work on putting down roots, trusting in what I've built, like trusting in the vision, trusting in myself, trusting that I have what I need, you know, just a surrender to the goodness. And anyone who's been traumatized knows that trusting the good is one of the hardest things that you can be asked to do because it's just so out of your wheelhouse. Like I talk about this a lot, but you know, people misconstrue like the idea of a comfort zone that like your comfort zone is this squishy, I'm going to talk about my metaphorical comfort zone, uh, just a squishy pink canopy bed with like a thousand stuffed animals, you know, in a Barbie dream house. And just like, that's my inner child's <laughs> comfort zone. You know, they think it's like being fanned with monstera leaves and like nothing bad ever happens to you. But actually my comfort zone was only bad things happen to me. My comfort zone was I am unlucky. I am unworthy. I am undeserving. No one will ever love me. I am a problem. I am a burden. You know, life is a joke. Like God is out to get me <laughs> just really negative. Um, and I don't blame myself for being that way. That is all life ever showed me. You know, that is what I came to view as normal. And I would see people who had like good, positive experiences in life. And I'd be like, what the fuck? Like, that's not fair. How come some people get that? And I got this and it would make me bitter and resentful. And, and I kind of walked around life, like projecting that onto every situation I entered. And that's sort of like the, the core of intentionality that I want to speak on. So traumatized people have a really hard time with intentionality because surviving trauma requires a certain level of dissociation. Like when you are a child being hit or screamed at or severely neglected or whatever, dealing with parents with substance abuse issues or like, you know, any manner of uh, rigid Christian values, you know, like pressure to be a perfect student, whatever. Like we all dealt with, if you, if you're listening to this show, chances are <laughs> we've all dealt with like some sort of trauma in our childhood homes. And the way a lot of us deal with this is to like mentally check out. You know, you kind of learn to go to your secret world in your head to like, I mean, I remember I like have flashbacks of like seeing myself outside of my body as my mentally ill, undiagnosed, untreated grandmother is like screaming at me because I, I forgot to check her burger from Wendy's was plain, you know, and it had stuff on it and she couldn't eat it. So I, I have these like vivid PTSD flashbacks of like her standing over top of me, me on the couch cowering and her just like hours, hours of screaming at me and what a horrible, ungrateful piece of shit I am. And, and I look at myself from above and I, and I like see, like I'm there physically, but my eyes are glazed over it. Like I am somewhere else. 
I am thinking of something else. I am like interacting with something else. I am like out of my body fully. And that's such a crazy thing to be able to do. And I think it really lends itself to my skills at deep meditation because, you know, that's basically what meditation requires of you to like leave your body and be somewhere else. Um, but it's really sad to have to do that and develop that skill. And it, it means that you're in a very vulnerable, triggered state. Like you're very scared or like in some sort of adrenal overload to feel the need to have to check out of your body. And this feeling of dissociation like followed me everywhere. I've heard so many people talk about how like they don't remember their childhoods. You know, they don't remember like a memory here and there, but for the most part, like day to day or like, you know, like parents will be like, oh, remember when we went on vacation here and the kids like, I mean, sort of, but not really. But it's like if your parents screamed at you the whole time and was being a fucking dick, like, of course you don't remember it. You were checked out. You were taking care of yourself. Your brain was trying to protect your little psyche from dealing with the reality of the moment. And and I have so many like feelings about this because being present is a privilege. Like being present is, it, it is so beautiful and so healing, but it takes so much work. And like the more traumatized you are and the more neurodivergent you are, depending on like what mental illnesses or like what brain functioning things you have going on, you know, things like ADD, um, or like, bipolar disorder or depression, like anything that comes with like a brain fog, um, or like mania, like can, can make it really difficult to be in the present moment. I've heard a lot of people say that like when they have ADD, if they try to meditate, like it stresses them the fuck out because they can't stop the brain chatter, you know, and then they end up getting frustrated with themselves and yelling at themselves and beating themselves up because they can't do this thing that is supposed to be good for them. Um, and not to get too much on a tangent, but you know, sometimes like different kinds of meditation work for those kinds of people. Like drawing can be a meditation. Going for a walk can be a meditation. Like a really rigorous workout can be a, a meditation. Sex and like orgasms can be a meditation. Like there's so making a good meal, cleaning, like there's so many ways to meditate. It doesn't have to look one way. And if one way doesn't work for you, you know, do something else. And if calling it meditation doesn't work for you, then fuck that. Don't call it that. Like call it something else. Call it being present. Call it being intentional, living with in living intentionally. You know, it doesn't have to look or be or, or act any way other than, you know, it works for you or it doesn't. (laughs) So let's not be so rigid. Um, and like assuming about what's good for others, but I digress. So if you're living in a dissociated state, and this really resonates with me because I, you know, when I was younger, I would think like, why do I have such a hard time like focusing? You know, I feel like I'm always somewhere else. I feel like I'm only half here on earth and, 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 you know, weeks and months and years would go by in like what, I can only describe as like a blur and not in the sense of time moving fast, just in the sense that like I didn't have touch these touchstones of presence. I was not living intentionally. I didn't know that that was even available to me. I didn't know how much control I could actually 
have over my life. I didn't realize how much of a say I could have in where my thoughts went. I didn't realize that I had a say in how I perceived things, you know, so I was just sort of floating, you know, floating from one experience to the other. And occasionally, you know, like a vacation or, or being on stage or falling in love, you know, certain moments would make me, would bring me right to the present. And I would be like, you know, this is the happiest I've ever felt. And like, suddenly you notice little bits of beauty in your day. This is why being a stoner really served me and continue, continues to serve me is that the first, I mean, the first handful of times I smoked weed, I got terrified. I was having like, like psychedelic experiences where I was like out of reality. I was out of my mind and I was so fucking scared. One time I thought it was claymation. One time I thought I was a baby vampire and that's why my throat hurt so bad. And I was like so scared that I was going to be too hungry. I was reading twilight at the time. (laughs) I was going to be too hungry and like eat all my friends in the room. (laughs) Um, so I used to get really, really like fucking scared, but Eventually I found out how to take smaller puffs and, and I would sit and marvel at like the beauty of a fountain or a piece of music and just be able to be fully present in a moment. And, and I started seeking that out more and more and wanting to find that more and more. And with presence comes intentionality because you, you can't be anything other than intentional when you're present because you're fully there. Like, I think we as traumatized people move through the world with a sort of, bear with me with this illusion, um, like we, or this like image or whatever, this metaphor, but we're, we're walking around with like a, we're, projecting a hologram of our traumatic experiences out in front of us everywhere we go. It is, it exists between our physical body and our, our perception and, and like between us and the actual experience we're having. That's not to say that experiences don't mimic our childhood because they definitely do. As I said before, like we participate in these cycles We have, um, we're programmed to make bad choices for ourselves, basically. And it's not anyone's fault. Like, if you don't know better, you can't do better. And it takes a lot of fucking work to know better and even more work to do better. So, like, forgive yourself for that. But it is true. You know, we do seek out familiar places. We do seek out our comfort zones, even if our comfort zone is harmful. It's just the only thing we know. It feels familiar. And a lot of times we will mythologize bad situations to justify staying in them, even though like the reality of the situation is straight up fucking bad, you know? I think it's so interesting how like the relationships I have mythologized the most are by far the most toxic relationships. You know, those are the ones where it was like, we're soulmates and like we belong together and that's why it's so hard. And like, you know, he's, he, he runs away from my affections because it's the, the connection is just too powerful and he can't handle it, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And now all my relationships are so fucking chill and like fulfilling and wonderful and healthy that I don't need to do any of that. It's just like, I really enjoy this person and they seem to really enjoy me. 
and it's good and it adds so much to my life and that I don't need to like write a fucking love story about it. Like it's not a fantasy, it's real. And when you're unhealthy, real can seem boring, but when you're healthy, like real is magic. Real is a miracle. Real is like (sighs) just acceptance, you know, and respect and genuine affection and positive regard and like love. It's just as simple as that. So we, whether or not a situation is bad, we're still projecting our childhood experience, our learned experience, our PTSD version of life, um, onto every situation we enter. So like I was thinking about earlier how I had horrible stage fright when I was younger. I wanted to sing more than anything in the world, but I had like debilitating stage fright. Like I had a grown man when I was 10 try to strangle me with a Fisher Price like little baby chair. And I was less scared in that moment than I was auditioning for all city chorus in sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. Like that's how scared I was going into these audition rooms where people are hiding behind a curtain. They're there for the explicit purpose of judging you, you know, and they're listening to singer after singer after singer, and you have to sight read and just like all this stuff. Every time I would go in and I would like, I would dissociate, I would like black out. I would be physically shaking. I would be ill. I would break out in hives. I would have like this gnawing in my stomach. It's like, I actually have forgotten because I like, I, you know, (laughs) I fucking exposure therapied myself by going and getting a music degree and then joining a bunch of bands and like playing a bunch of shows. And like, I got really, and then being a burlesque performer and being naked as a fat person on stage, like just, (laughs) I really exposure therapied the hell out of myself regarding this one thing. But you know, I was thinking earlier today, like what a thing to overcome like this. It was like the scariest thing to me and I overcame it, but it's like, why was it so scary? Because of the fear of being seen, the fear of being judged, the fear of being bad at the thing I love most in the world, the thing of someone being there to tell me I'm not good enough. Like, of course that was terrifying. You know, it just triggered. I was projecting my traumatic experience onto that situation. And my grandma used to say all the time, like, why are you so scared? If you don't get in, it's not like they're going to take you out back and shoot you. But it was literally that scary. But that's because anytime I was in an experience where I was going to be criticized, where I had done something wrong, like I was the kid who was like a perfect angel in school. I wouldn't talk out of turn. I like always did my homework. I always raised my hand. My desk was nice and clean. Like I was so respectful, but you know, nobody's perfect. And if I like, if a teacher thought I was talking when I wasn't, or like if I forgot to bring in a permission slip or something, and they used to punish people for this kind of thing. And I would get like, I'd have to move my little clothespin to, to yellow or whatever. I would have a full on breakdown. Like I could not handle not being perfect. I couldn't handle any criticism because it felt like I was, it's like, 
picture it, pussycat. Like, <laughs> you know, smash that like button if this resonates. Um, but you know how a spiral works? Like, this is how I spiral, right? Me and my partner are, we have a great day. We're having a, a great time. We love each other. It's like perfect. You know, everything is wonderful, more than I could have ever asked for. I'm so respected. I'm so loved. I'm so safe. Something triggers me. In three minutes flat, my body is experiencing the worst case scenario where I have been betrayed and we are breaking up and I'm having to get a new place, like pack up all my stuff, move out. Oh my God. Now I'm going to have to live with roommates. Like I'm never going to be able to trust anybody again. Like I can't believe, you know, like I am on a hundred in three minutes flat and I have to like literally talk myself down from the ledge and be like, none of that is happening. It's just like when I get scared that I have like an illness and you know, I might, I was still in the process of figuring that out, but like you go to like, I'm dead, I'm dead and buried. My loved ones are missing me. (laughs) And it's like, I haven't even gone to the appointment yet. You know, the spiral works like that. Like it takes you all the way to the worst case scenario there. The train is going 200 miles per hour. Like there is no stopping it. Um, until you can. And then once I do, I'm like, wait, look at the facts. What is actually happening? Um, but when I was a kid and I was like going into these auditions, it's like in my household, when I did something wrong, I got hit. I got hit like violently, you know, hit with fists, hit slapped across the face, hit with a brush, like, uh, spanked, you know, yelled and screamed at, like called every name in the fucking book just like abuse, like not being perfect equaled abuse. And like the only way to stay safe was being like perfect and silent and like basically existing as, as small and insignificant as possible and causing no waves and causing no trouble. But that is not possible. That's an unrealistic expectation for a kid to have for themselves. It's an unrealistic expectation for an adult to have for themselves But like that's, I was spiraling. Like in those moments, I was so triggered and so vulnerable that that's where my head went. And when I look back on so many of my life experiences and like what really scares me and what really triggers me, like that's what's happening is like I'm either going to be abandoned or betrayed or like literally abused in some way or another if I am not perfect 100% of the time. And it takes a lot of intentionality to turn off that projection and to be able to go into every scenario with a clean slate, you know, and to, to say to myself, like, I can't go into every interaction with every human I meet, um, being psychically aware of what type of person they are and what their intentions are and how they're going to behave and like how they're going to handle conflict. Like I can't know that until I go through it. So I have to meet this person with presence, with intention every time and just listen to what they say, listen to who they say they are, notice how they interact with others and just like observe non-judgmentally collect the red flags and like make my decision from there. Um, you know, I have to go into every audition or every show being like, I am here 
I love my voice. I love playing music. I love singing. I love sharing it with others. And like, that's all I'm trying to do. And if someone has a negative reaction to me, it probably has nothing to do with me. It probably is like something in me is causing a response in them. And I'm just going to give that back to them and not take it on myself unless it's like constructive. And then I will consider it, you know, (laughs) it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of self-love. It takes a lot of reparenting. It takes a lot of awareness because you have to be able to see what your hologram of life looks like before you can start to unpack it and like leave it behind and take every situation as it comes you know you have to know what your perceptions are before you can unpack them and knowing what your perceptions are can be a really painful process because you, it's like the gateway to your wounds. You know, if you're like, I'm terrified anytime I'm vulnerable because every time I was vulnerable as a kid, I was made fun of. Like that is a painful realization to have, you know, or like, I feel like I need to work super hard in all my relationships because I was made to feel like a burden as a child. And so I need to like earn people's love. That's a heartbreaking revelation to have. That's not an easy revolution to carry with you. Or like I see romantic relationships as a huge burden, something that I avoid at all costs because my parent was so heavily dependent on me that I see love as a chore. Like all of these revelations are difficult to live with, you know, and they may call into question, you know, how you operate, what your patterns are, your, the ways that you protect yourself and whether or not those are healthy or acceptable. You know, you may see some responsibility in the way things have played out because you see your own dysfunction and, uh, that's never easy, you know, but I think the, the meditation, the practice, the daily fucking practice of living with intention kind of starts there. You have to hit the off button on that hologram and stop projecting in order to start really living. Real quick, we're going to take a break for some ads. See you in a second. Bye. Brought to you by the haunted mind of Brit Cannon. A walk-on production. Flight of the final girl. A journey through the nightmare of generational trauma and into the sunrise of survival. Run. Don't walk. It's Flight of the Final Girl. Anywhere books are sold. Welcome back. So before the break, I was talking about how you have to unpack that hologram that you're carrying with you in order to begin living with intention. And I really think that living with intention is like the key to happiness. It's the key to being like not a good person in the moral sense of the word, but like a loving person, you know, someone who makes um, conscious healthy decisions. I think a lot about this in regard to myself and relationships because who boy, my my trauma has made me make some questionable decisions in my relationships. And you know, I'm not saying this is the case for everyone who has like experimented with 
non-monogamy, but I had a hard time most of my life in most of my relationships starting at 15 with like monogamy. You know, I didn't have the words for this. I didn't like really understand where I was coming from, but I was someone who was like insatiable for love, like love and attention and validation while also being extremely scared of commitment. So you have this like anxiously, like anxious avoidant type of person who is also like kind of addicted to love. And so I would often have like emotional affairs. Like I never crossed the line physically, but I would develop crushes. Like I would leave someone for someone else. I just like left a trail of broken hearts behind me for a long time. And you know, looking back, I see that I was projecting the fact that I believed that everyone left. I was projecting the fact that I had never seen a healthy relationship. I was sort of like comforting myself with the idea that I wasn't a cheater because I didn't physically cross that line ever. But, but I was crossing lines in other ways, in ways that a lot of people consider more hurtful. You know, they consider developing feelings for someone else worse than, you know, having a one night stand or something. And I totally get that. But I was so spaced out, like I was so not present that I would like not really understand what I was doing. So like, I now know that being monogamous, like understanding, I mean, first of all, it's kind of bullshit that we like just assume that everyone's going to be monogamous. Like that's just the standard way relationships work and we don't give people a choice because had I had a choice, I might not have chosen monogamy when I was younger, but now in my life, my partner and I like discussed it and have decided that like, that's the relationship style that we wish to, uh, follow at this moment. And so what it means to me now is being really intentional, you know, making sure that I have very clear boundaries with my friends that I like, I have put Brit the flirt to rest. Like I don't encourage that. Like I don't do that dance with anyone. I don't blur any lines. Like everything is very compartmentalized and like organized and there are boundaries in place. And everyone else who's around me is the same way. Like everyone is, I have a lot of like, I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of, I mean, I'm bisexual. So like I could be attracted to anyone at any time and everyone I love is beautiful. And, and me previously may not have had these boundaries and then like things get really blurry and then you can't decide like, do I have feelings for this person or like, like what's going on with them? And it's really easy to like cross a line if you're not being intentional. And now like I am so intentional and no one's pressuring me to do this. Like this is a choice I have made on my own because I want to prioritize simplicity in my life. I want things to be really simple. I want to have a lot of time to myself while still having a lot of fulfilling, wonderful, you know, deep relationships where I spend, you know, I choose to spend time with people. And when I do, I am like, I give them my undivided attention and I make sure my batteries are charged and I'm not running around in like crisis mode because, you know, I have created hell for myself in not having good boundaries and like, and 
doing the Libra thing where you like tell this person what they want to hear, even though it's not the full truth. And then you tell someone else what they want to hear, even though it's not the full truth. And you tell you what you want to hear, even though it's not the full truth. And then before you know it, the shit is hitting the fan and you're like, life is falling apart. (laughs) And I understand that there are lots of people who handle non-monogamy really well and like hats off to them because it is not easy, but this is what is good for me right now. And it's because I'm doing it with intention, you know, and I understand that like the way things get out of hand is by not acting with intention. Another way I think this plays out is, um, I think that a lot of people are cruel, like unintentionally, you know, like gossip, I think is unintentional cruelty. I don't think people always mean to be as mean as they are. You know, a lot of times people will make a joke about someone's appearance or like, or someone's insecurity to a mutual friend. And like, they don't think it's ever going to get back to that person. They're just like unintentionally flapping their guns, you know, unintentionally running their mouth, just shooting the shit, saying whatever pops into their head and not thinking through the consequences. Cause that's part of intentionality is thinking through the consequences. Like, am I being intentional in this moment? Am I going to say something that I'm going to regret? Or am I saying something or even thinking something that if it got to the, back to this person, they would be devastated? Would I want someone to say this kind of thing about me? You know, th- that whole process, which is a very mature, like, space to be in. Obviously, gossip is fun, but, like, do it, do it through a reality show. You know, watch The Real Housewives or, like, the ultimatum and gossip about those people in the privacy of your own home. Don't tweet them, you know, don't comment nasty shit on their Instagram. Just like do the human funness of gossip in as in the least harmful way possible. Like nobody, you don't need to inflict harm on anybody (laughs) to like scratch that itch. Okay. Just like be a little bit more intentional. Um, but I don't think that people always mean it. I don't think that people always like want to hurt each other. I think it is a, a consequence of being unintentional of like being sort of asleep at the wheel of life and flying by the seat of your pants and not thinking through the consequences. Um, on the other hand, I think we all know people who like only seem to come alive when they're being cruel. Like they, the only time they're intentional is when they're intentionally hurting someone's feelings. And, you know, I'm sure people pop in your head when you hear me say that, and they definitely pop in mine too. And that's a whole nother issue to deal with, you know? Or if you see that in yourself, you know, if you get a little thrill from being intentionally hurtful, if you feel like that's the way you win conflicts is by hitting below the belt and hurting the person enough until they shut up, then maybe you should think about that. You know, where is that pattern coming from? What are you projecting onto the situation that makes you think that's okay? And also just like, be real about accepting the consequences when they come. You know, if you're intentionally cruel to someone and they choose to stop stop speaking to you, like realize that that's your fault, that you didn't, you weren't kind to them, that you weren't um, treating them with respect and, and ask yourself why, how you got there, why you do that. A lot of times it's a defense mechanism and it's, that doesn't make it okay, but you know, it is an explanation. So when we're in relationships or moving through the world, it's like 
it's like the other day I was at Brooklyn Pride and there are these porta potties like by the stage where people were performing. So the music's really loud. There's two porta potties. One of them has the green, you know, the green that says nobody's in there, but there's a padlock on it. The other one has red, but there's no padlock. So obviously this is a confusing situation, right? So there's a line like in front of the porta potty, my partner's the first person in line. And we start getting like a little anxious being like, oh my God, what if this porta potty is also like out of commission and we're tricking these people into like forming this long line, hoping they're going to get to pee. So she like knocks on the door, but obviously it's really hard to hear because the music's really loud. And so she knocks on the door like twice more. And then a guy pops out and he's like, what the fuck? And he's like all pissed because she's knocking on the door a few times or whatever. And she's like trying to laugh and like sort of explain it to him, but he's already pissed and he storms off and like vents to his friends about it or whatever. And it's like, (laughs) she was like being intentional and he wasn't here for the explanation. You know, he's projecting onto that situation. Like this person's being a dick. Like they're trying to get me out of the bathroom as quick as possible. Like they weren't listening to me saying someone's in here. Like they're just being rude. Right. But that's not what was happening. And if both people in that scenario had been intentional you know like if I would have been the one in the bathroom I would have popped out and heard the person saying like oh sorry we couldn't hear you because the music was loud and we were just making sure that someone was actually in there and that this porta potty isn't out of commission but like he couldn't even he was so uh annoyed (laughs) which is fine that he was like popping off and too busy popping off and you know it's just like a simple example of a moment where we could like lead with grace and like not assume the worst. And I think that's part of living with intention. If you're assume, if you find yourself going into every scenario, assuming the worst, you might be projecting your stuff. You might be running that hologram in front of every experience you have, you know? And I think those of us who have done that a lot in our lives, like have probably been called out on it before. You know, I remember a previous partner of mine, the, the next, um, serious relationship I had after my most abusive relationship. So I had a lot of baggage going into that one to say the least. Um, I remember getting in a fight with that partner because, Like I was afraid because I was afraid that he was going to start being mean to me, that I was afraid, you know, I was like trying to do all this stuff to protect myself and I was kind of taking it out on him. And he was like, don't punish me for something your past partner did. And I was like, well, fuck, like, oh, okay, you're right. Like, (laughs) you're right. I shouldn't be doing that, but I don't know how not to, you know, like how do you unpack your experience Like your experience informs your perception of the world. And like at at the time, at the ripe old age of 22, I was like, I have no fucking clue how to separate the two. Like, aren't all men trash? And like, (laughs) uh, not to get too deeply into that, kind of, but um, no, not really. Just the ones I chose. (laughs) Um, But, you know, when you're called out on that sort of thing, you're like, I guess I am doing that. 
you know, like, I guess I do do that. I guess I do protect myself or I guess I, I do kind of lead with my scorpion stinger and expect people to forgive me and just like give me the benefit of the doubt and know that I was just like hurting or scared in that moment and keep forgiving me, even though I keep doing it to them. You know, you got to get off the ride. Eventually you have to get your feet on the ground and be present in the moment and stop projecting and like live intentionally. And you can live intentionally in infinite expressions. You know, you can, you can eat intentionally. You can sit with a meal. You can cook it for yourself joyfully. You can be there every step of the way. You can sit down. You can actually let yourself taste it. You can give yourself enough time to eat. You can do it not in front of the TV or in front of the TV, but, you know, be present or whatever. For me, if I'm eating in front of the TV, like I'm not being intentional. So I have to do it like real fucking old school family style at the dinner table, you know, talking about your day discussing things like sitting there for a long time, letting it digest. Like that's just part of my healing and my intentionality and like my relationship with food. And, um, and it's very helpful to me. It also allows me to be present enough to notice like what feels good in my body and what feels bad in my body. This is part of the reason that I no longer eat gluten because I started eating intentionally And realizing like, whoa, I feel like trash. Like I literally feel like death if I eat gluten. Every time I eat something with gluten in it, like I kind of suffer for a couple days. And and, um, so that informed my decisions going forward. And I think that's part of the whole process. You can meet people intentionally and actually be present when they're telling you who they are. You know, this is like back in the day, I've had friends who are like, uh, by the way, I'm a terrible person. I'm a bad friend. I've betrayed everyone who's ever loved me. Isn't that so funny? Aren't I cute? And at the time I was like, that's not possible. You could never be a bad person. Like meanwhile, I don't know this person. I've known them 15 fucking seconds and I'm reassuring them that they're a good person. Okay. So like five to seven years later, here I am looking like a fool because guess what? They were a bad person. (laughs) I don't necessarily believe in good and bad people. I just believe, um, I heard the poet Andrea Gibson say recently, like they don't believe in good or bad people. They just believe in people who are trying and people who are not. And I think that's a really good way to categorize it. But people who like say they're bad people laugh about it like a joke and have no intention of changing or healing and see actually nothing wrong with their behavior. Like I don't need to comfort those people through their, existential crises about their choices. You know what I mean? In fact, I need to see it as a red flag and not go any further with that person. So like you can go into relationships intentionally. You can be an intentional partner and an intentional friend. You know, you can give people the benefit of the doubt when they deserve it. You can walk away from people when that feels like the right thing to do. You can learn intentionally, you know, you can wake up every day and be like, I would like to learn insert skill here. And so I'm going to give it 15 minutes every day. You know, I'm going to like intentionally carve out 15 minutes to practice this skill. And when I practice it, I'm going to be fully present. I am going to take it in baby steps. I'm going to set realistic expectations and I'm going to come back here again and again and again and watch myself improve slowly 
you know, not exponentially, but improve nonetheless. And I'm going to be happy with that progress. Like, doesn't that sound wonderful? Doesn't that sound easy? Doesn't that sound light? Doesn't that sound like the opposite of triggering? Doesn't that sound like how you wish you were parented? And like, that's really what I'm always getting at here is like, be the parent you wish you had, like be the gentle voice guiding you through the hard times, be the one giving yourself good advice, (laughs) at least have the wherewithal to choose people like to choose Uh, the people you surround yourself with to be the kind of people who give you good advice. Be gentle, be forgiving, be encouraging. Um, Intentionality is just about that. It's about being loving with every step you take. And it's not foolproof, you know, like I'm talking about it, but I'm still working on it clearly. Uh, But I'm getting better at it. And, And the better at it I get, the sweeter my life is. And so it's hard work, but it's work worth doing because you, you realize that like life isn't a horror movie, you know, it's, it's a hero's journey. Like it's a, it's a thing that you're supposed to endure a lot of trials and tribulations. You know, you're supposed to overcome, you're supposed to persevere, you're supposed to find your tenacity and your grit and your, you're supposed to grow and become the most loving version of yourself with everything you go through. And a big part of becoming that loving self is letting down those walls, is stop acting like you know what's going to happen because you don't. There, I think about this all the time. Like, in some of the hardest moments of my life, and I'm talking about the moments where I was like, I no longer want to live and I am going to do something about it. Um, if I had succeeded, what like beauty I would have missed out on, you know, because right around the corner, like two left turns later and my life is completely different and much more bearable. And like, And I'm so much stronger than those moments where I faltered or failed or whatever, you know, like life changes in an instant and you never know how good it's going to be until you get there. And, you know, we all walk around with these like throbbing pain bodies because we've all been through so much and continue to go through so much. And the way that we humans hurt each other is just like a slap in the face to the universal consciousness that we're all a part of. Um, And the only way to really tap into that and to become an expression of that, like the purest, truest form of that expression we can become is to be intentional. You know, if you love someone, treat them with care. If you enjoy doing something, come back to it again and again. If you need to rest, allow yourself to be intentional with that rest. Don't lay there screaming at yourself for not being able to do more. Think my body is telling me to rest in this moment. And so I am going to embrace this rest. I am going to be thankful for this rest. I am going to give my body what it needs. And in turn, my body is going to give me what I need, which is, you know, more, um, 
more behavioral activation in the future. (laughs) Um, Listening to your body, like that is a way to be intentional. Noticing when you're in pain, noticing when you don't feel good, notice when you don't have the fucking energy to do something. Um, Notice what stresses you out. Notice what makes you miserable. Notice what makes you feel good about yourself. Notice what makes you feel alive and allow yourself to gravitate away from or towards you know, the vibes that resonate with you. It's all okay. It's all correct. You know, your life is your own. It always makes me think of that Mary Oliver poem, The Journey, where the end of it is, you know, basically like you have to become um, determined to save the only life you can save, which is your own. You know, you can't do anything for anyone else. You can't heal for anyone else. You can't love anyone for, for, for themselves. Like there's no amount of love and support and validation you can pour into someone who isn't giving it to themselves. There's no one you could save. Like we, we work so hard to like loving people, I should say, work so hard, um, to, to protect the people they love from harm to the point of becoming enablers and like trying to save people from the consequences of their own actions. But like in my episode, consequences are good. Actually, if you haven't checked that out, you should, um, you know, that's not always the loving thing to do. That's not always the intentional thing to do. That's coming from a place of fear. It's coming from a place of, you know, misguided love and misunderstanding of what the school of life is about and, um, and it's best just to keep your eyes on your own paper in most situations. You know, you can't control others. You can only control yourself. You know, if we go back to the serenity prayer, if you can't control it, you got to let it go. And that's being intentional too, you know? So maybe take a look at your life, at your patterns, at your relationships and, And consider, like, how could I be more intentional in this situation? You know, and if I were going to be more intentional, how do I think it would help? And just try, you know, go into conflict thinking I'm going to be intentional here. If I start feeling triggered with what the other person's saying, I'm going to just own it. I'm going to be like, that's making me feel a little upset right now. That's making me feel a little triggered. Is there like a different way you can word that? Or like, will you just let me sit with that for a minute and see what it's, what it's bringing up for me? Cause I don't want to project it on you. You know, can we do this a little slower? <laughs> um, do I need to be this upset about it? Like, can I talk myself down, uh, be vulnerable instead of defensive, you know, be loving instead of attacking and just see what happens. Um, what it's done for me in my life is it has allowed me to create an experience where everywhere I go, it's soft. Everywhere I go, it's gentle. Everywhere I go, I feel appreciated. And the places that I don't, I don't go back, (laughs) you know, um, I'm very, I hold my own well-being very sacred. It's very important to me. I am a great parent to myself. I love myself the way I have always wanted to be loved. And by proxy, the people that I love 
get the best version of me. And that makes me like even easier to adore, you know? (laughs) And then I get the belonging I've always wanted. So even though it's scary, even though it's hard to release those holograms, living with intention will really change your life for the better. Like nothing bad has ever come from living with intention. The Walk On Podcast is a production of Walk On Productions. It is written, recorded, hosted, produced, and marketed by yours truly. (laughs) That's right, folks. It's a one-person dog and pony show. If you'd like to help keep us afloat, you can donate on our anchor.fm page. That's anchor.fm backslash Brit dash Cannon. You can also go to my website, BritCannon.me, to access lots of other things like the blog that goes along with this podcast, my two YouTube channels, the Walk On Podcast YouTube channel, and my personal YouTube channel that features my poetry and music. You can access the album Shiny Silver Snakes that I made with my good friend Lokomoko. You can find Mantra, the EP that Walk On, the theme song to this podcast, is part of. And you can find Flight of the Final Girl, which is my debut poetry collection. There's also merch, t-shirts, stickers, mugs, lots of other stuff with the swears on them. (laughs) There are photos, videos, and links to all of the services I offer, including tarot readings, astrology readings, mentorship services, if you'd like some one-on-one consultations outside of the realm of tarot and astrology. And you can also access my self-love course, which is a 30-day journal-centered self-love course that is designed to help you build a deeper friendship and more loving relationship with yourself. There are journal prompts, guided meditations, self-care rituals, letter writing assignments, and a whole lot more. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for doing the work. Happy healing. Until next time. Bye.